ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between, welcome down to another episode of the Jake Botel Football Experience. A pleasure to have your company on this episode. Looking to dive into all of the wildcard weekend playoff action, the coaching carousel news with some hires at the Jet, uh, the Giants, at the Panthers, and at the Cowboys. We'll also preview all of the upcoming divisional round games. And to do that, I'm joined by Minnesota Jack. So without further ado, let's get into it. The JBFE, a pleasure to have your company. And welcome into another episode of the JBFE. I'm your host, Jake Botel. This is my football experience. Hope that your footballing week and weekend, etc., has been well. And I'm joined today in the studio by Minnesota Jack. How are you, Jack? I'm good. How are you, man? I am pretty spectacular. That's good. Good to hear. Obviously, we both had the joint experience last night of watching uh, the Paul Brown A Football Life Mm. documentary. Definitely look it up. You can probably find it on YouTube, but if you're a uh, NFL Game Pass subscriber, you'll have that there on demand. I think it was back in season 2014 or 2013 that they did it. Sounds about right. Um, My dad actually recommended that to me. I think we're slowly, yeah, he, so I think Seven Mate or whatever runs the NFL games uh, in Australia. They occasionally run those sorts of things. Uh, And he texted me the other day and said, Oh my God, you've got to watch the football life of Paul Brown. I was like, Okay. He's like, it's amazing. He invented the whole game kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then I watched it and I texted you five minutes yeah. and I said, Jack, you've got to watch it. He invented the whole game. I, as someone who's a, like a, a fan of football history, it's like a major chunk to have been missing from my knowledge. Mm. Like, what an amazing guy. Yeah, I feel like w- without Paul Brown, not, not to say that in an alternate history someone else wouldn't have come up and did what he did, but if not... The game would be so different mm. without what he, with what he put in. Like yeah. it's so influential, and I feel like the game would be, it would be recognizable, obviously, because it was he was only expanding on the game that already existed. But man, I don't know if I would like the sport as much as I do if it wasn't for what he put in. Yeah, it's shocking. It's all the uh, you know the sort of the like I kind of like to call it the espionage element mm. of football. You know. Um, microphones in helmets and, you know, the the secret playbooks and all that sort of stuff and the codes. And that, to me, is what... And I don't know if you saw in the, one of the little news clippings in that, there was someone saying that he's basically taking away any element of yeah. sport. And I'm like, no, that is the element yeah. of the sport that I love. Um, great documentary, anyway, and you should mm. definitely check it and out. It's only, like, 40 minutes, so yeah. it's not even like, oh, I'm going to sit down for two hours and watch this thing. It's one thing that NFL films and that sort of thing do really well. The America's Game documentaries, the Football Life documentaries, they're always really fascinating. There's some great ones um, on there to watch, and plenty mm. of uh, the America's Game ones go, of course, right back to the very first Super Bowl winners, the Green Bay Packers, back in the 60s. And Football Life has, uh, there must be 50 plus yeah. episodes on there and some, some really interesting ones of some of the greatest characters from football, from owners like Al Davis, um, different coaches, 
Bill Belichick. There's a two-part one on Bill Belichick. Sweet. Um, and then, you know, players. There's a good one on Ray Lewis. And that was, like, I think, maybe year 2011 or 2012 um, where he was actually still playing. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a look into his day in, day out. Yeah. Of his football and his life and that sort of thing. So, yeah, lots of good things to look at on a football life and America's game. Hook it to your veins. But what we want to move into talking about is the NFL wildcard weekend. I want to preface this a little bit. I want to go on a little bit of one of my rants, yes, as go. I want to do. It's a little bit of a peeling back of the curtain. For me, the football season, I don't know if I'm the opposite to other fans, but I obviously I'm, I'm keen to see how this all unfolds, the playoffs. But I think I'm more excited in, say, four weeks out from the start of the season than Mm -hmm. I am four weeks out from the end of the season. Because, my reasoning being, four weeks out from the start of the season, anything is possible for 32 teams. Mm -hmm. By the time we get to the end, we've got eight teams left, we know it's one of those eight, you can probably carve away four of them, Mm -hmm. and we kind of, I don't know, it's weird, like, a lot of fans, I think, you know, it's playoffs, I'm excited for playoffs. I'm excited for like, I, I can't wait to get into the NFL scouting combine yeah. and the draft. Off season, yeah, here we man. go. The front office moves. That's kind of where my, I don't know, my, it's like that's peak football for yeah. me. Um, not to say that the playoffs aren't great, but I think my, my, I start to get heartache after about week 12 of the season because mm-hmm. about half of the sides are written off by then. Yeah. And we're losing more and more potential outcomes and some of the wonder starts to disappear for me. Having said that... Is this because you're a Pittsburgh fan? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, the last two seasons. I don't know. It's weird. I, um... I see what you mean. Yeah. I think, something. It, I think... I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that I, pref- I would prefer that over the playoffs, mm. but if we end up with, I don't know, a Ravens 49ers Super Bowl, then yeah, it'll be a little bit anticlimactic. If we end up, I don't know... I don't know, Vikings, Titans, or something mm. crazy like that. Or even not, let's say, not the Vikings because they're my team. What's mm. another NFC who's uh, still in this? Well, we could have the Chiefs. And I, I... Maybe, let's say, I don't know, Chiefs and Seahawks who mm. aren't like, oh, they're definitely going to get to the Super Bowl. Like, mm. that would even be somewhat interesting. But mm. if it's <laughs> number one seed, number one seed, then yeah, you kind of go, well, I knew that was going to happen. They're the two best teams in the competition, <laughs> one of them's going to win. They both deserve to get the Super Bowl. They're both the best team. So in, in a way, if it ends up like that, I would agree and go, okay, that's expected. Let's see what's not expected. Yeah. Let's wait and see how it's going to come out with the new year, especially with all these coaching changes and players leaving and coming in. That's right. I think there's... That's the cream of the yes, experience. <laughs> that, that's the priority that we're looking for here. That's, and, and, you know, I think you reduce more and more variables. Mm. And we think we want to know the answer. At the start of the season, we think we want to know, is my team the best team? Or which yeah. team is the best team? Or mm. We don't. We want the mystery. We want, we want more variables. We want things to... And I guess, and let's dovetail this into our discussion of the wildcard week, in some ways we got some of those variables this mm. week. Maybe I just need to change the shit in my focus yeah. into a smaller focus. I can still love the 32 teams, but maybe I need to look at these... Eight that we had playing last week because we got upsets on both sides, mm. on the AFC and the NFC. 
Um, there are two games in particular that we got, and one more than the other. Games that, you know, when you factored in all of the variables and that sort of thing, you know, they were surprise results. Um, and maybe we should go straight into that. Uh, we might talk about these games out of order. Mm-hmm. The headline for me, and obviously you could lead with the Patriots Titans, but the Vikings and Saints. Nobody gave the Vikings a chance. And really, that's what a nice way to start your playoff experience as an NFL fan than to go into New Orleans and upset the Saints. Now, I didn't get eyes on this game because Frida, my partner, is a dedicated New Orleans Saints fan and we decided it was too too nerve-wracking to watch. Mm. Um, which I understand because I didn't watch that much of the Steelers live mm. this season. Um, so you got eyes on this game. What your your takeaways mm. from it? So leading into it, I wouldn't say that I didn't give them any chance. I gave them maybe a point zero zero one <laughs> chance because it's football and anyone can win, especially oh, in the playoffs. The Saints in New Orleans. It's it's one of the the big fortresses in the NFL, that teams go to die. However, playoffs, that's not necessarily been the case. This is two years in a row now where they've been had their ticket punched uh, in the Superdome. Yeah. Well, well. to quickly sidetrack just to that, yeah. now you start to wonder, is the Superdome really what we think it is mm. in terms of the playoffs? Mm. When you get those kinds of losses, you start to not say, okay, no longer be afraid of that venue, mm. but it starts to creep in a bit. Uh, but leading into that game, I was going to do the same as you. I wasn't going to watch it. I was like, man, I can't handle it. I can't. But I was like, you know what? What if they win? Wouldn't it be so good to watch that live? And that's sort of, all right, I'll watch it, see how we play. And if we look promising, I'll watch it through. If, you know, Drew Brees throws three touchdowns in the first quarter, then I'll shut it off and go, okay. Gave it a shot, but we're not going to get there. And, and it looked like that was going to be the case because I think on maybe the third or fourth play... Vikings started with the ball. Cousins throws a short pass out to try and get a first down to Adam Thielen. And he gets a bit of run after the catch sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then he gets tackled and fumbles the ball. And it gets recovered by the Saints. I was like, oh. Cousins throws a ball that ends up being a fumble. Back to the Saints. Crowd is roaring. I was like, ah, this is not... Especially one of our great players like Thielen. You don't want that guy having low confidence and I was like man this is gonna turn out bad I can just see it and and I can't remember exactly I think that drive from the Saints only ended in a field goal which I think I didn't think it at the time but in retrospect that was the first sign that this was going to be closer than we all thought because the Saints really given the kind of team that we thought they were they wouldn't get a field goal on an opening drive after recovering a fumble and then we got the ball back and we just started throwing punches getting turnovers up on our defense and and Cousins was playing well and and Dalvin Cook just running straight through I think his stats look a little bit less impressive because in the second half the Saints really tightened up mm-hmm. and he was only getting two or three yards but that first half he was routinely getting first downs or you know eight and nine yards mm-hmm. and then was also well doing well in the receiving game as he always does and then I think just before half time the Saints missed a pretty not a 22-yard field goal, but a fairly easy field goal, one that they made later in the game, which meant that we still had the lead going into half time. And you're like, man, 
don't let me down, Vikings. Come on, you're so close, just push through. And we ended up doing it. And I think if it wasn't for the overtime drive by Cousins, we probably probably would be talking about the defense, not Kirk Cousins and his performance. Because he did well in the game, but not stand out. He just did well. And then Cook, because of that second half and how he didn't do so well, it kind of was just like, okay. It was the defense that was, they caused a fumble from Drew Brees on a tackle that when they were driving down to try and get the lead, like four minutes left in the last quarter, probably would have won the game. I think it was Daniil Hunter, actually, who's obviously been a stunning defensive player. Um, But if the game ended there and we won or we lost, we wouldn't be talking about Kirk Cousins. It was that overtime drive. Mm -hmm. Getting good passes. Giving it to Dalvin Cook. On a third and one, you would think, all right, let's give it to our best player. Let's give it to Cook. Run it through for a yard. Easy peasy. But Kirk Cousins took it upon himself to throw to Diggs and got the the conversion. And then I think only one or two plays later, one of the the best throw of his career, I think it was like 40, 50 yards down to Thielen, right down and landed at the two-yard line. And that the commentators were saying it as it happened, and I totally agree. That's the best throw he's ever made. Not just in terms of skill and the right timing, because if you overthrow that, you throw it out of bounds. And if you underthrow it, that's maybe an interception. Mm-hmm. But he threw it perfectly. And then also just the pressure. It's not prime time, but I, don't know, I think a playoff game has much more pressure than a prime time <laughs> game. And then a few bad calls by Stefanski, I think, trying to run the ball twice in a row after the first one just got stopped. But then threw a great ball to... Rudolph, who is just so trustworthy in the red zone, especially on the matchup that we had. I don't know, have you actually seen that throw? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. you just see the matchup, you're like, mm. unless something weird happens, Rudolph is going to catch that. Mm. And we can talk about the whole PI and all that sort of stuff, but I think that just so such a fun game to watch, but only because we won. It's mm. the kind of game that if we lost, not like not just because we lost, but it all sort of paid off. Mm. It was all that work, but if we didn't win that game, it would have been all for nothing because it would have been like well you didn't win so all that work really means nothing even your 50 yard pass it doesn't mean anything if you don't win the game so I'm glad that I tuned in because it was fun and I don't know I think it just it won't silence all the critics of Cousins but it really should and I don't think anyone should bring up his Monday Night Football stat Mm. after that performance. I think one of the things too with you know there's two points that sort of took away from it after I watched some of the highlights and, and that mm. sort of thing and, and just you know sort of looking at the narrative of it you know that one first of all let's wash the slate clean of the past interference thing is it isn't it the sooner they abolish this rule um, on on the replay thing uh, the better because they've consistently Failed to find yeah. consistency yeah. on it. I I am less clear now at the end of a season of being uh, of you know coaches being able to review it of actually understanding what the act what the rule is mm. and how it's enforced and it's it's been enforced differently at the start of the season as opposed to the middle of the season to the end of the season. There was this, there was a part sort of towards the middle to late season where they were you know, booth reviewing it and turning them over, mm. you know, with a high level of frequency. And then it seems like in the playoffs we're, we're changing it completely again. So that's, you know, and you can probably look across the, the course of a whole game and as the Saints, there are multiple attempts to make plays and the Vikings as well and there's probably multiple calls that are here or there mm. and 
it doesn't what intensifies the the attention to it is how things went down at the end of last season for the yeah. Saints, which was in their wording egregious. Uh, that was absurd how mm. that wasn't called. But I don't think this one. Uh, looking at it, I didn't think I, it could have gone either way. I think if you call it, you go, "Geez, was that really pass interference?" Yeah. And if you don't call it, people go, "Geez, was that pass interference?" Like. It's here nor there for me. The thing is, there are a lot of uh, potential uh, moments where that game can be won or lost. And, and even if it is an egregious call, and even hearkening back to the one last year against the Rams where the Saints were knocked out, there were plenty of opportunities earlier in the game. As I remember, the Rams were a fair way down going into that second half mm. and had to mount a comeback yeah. to, to even get close. There was then uh, possession in overtime for Drew Brees, I believe, where he threw an interception. Mm. So, there were opportunities, and sometimes you have to... And this was present in... I watched the America's Game, um, uh, the 1984 49ers, where they mm. won. They went 15-1 and one in the regular season and won the Super Bowl. And there's the game against Pittsburgh was their only loss of the season, where they lost... On, they surrendered, I think it was a 10-point lead late in the game. There was a horrendous... Um, call against the defense mm-hmm. after they'd stopped Pittsburgh on a fourth down in yeah. the end zone and from that ensuing penalty Pittsburgh scored a touchdown and kicked a field goal to win it mm-hmm. uh, and Bill Walsh their coach basically said you know what the umpire he's an idiot he's incompetent mm-hmm. but that's life and sometimes you've got to overcome and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing kind of now yeah, same yeah. only but sometimes you have to overcome the incompetence or idiocy of other people to win. Yeah. And to me, that is, as the Saints, you are in your own building, you have one of the most talented rosters in the NFL, that's on you. Yeah. You've got to come away with a win there. Um, we can all debate the coin toss rule. I think it's ridiculous that one side doesn't get the right of reply, but we can debate all of that. But the thing is, you went and laid an egg in your own building yeah. for much of the game. And that's that's what it is. The other thing I would say... Is this is kind of the conflicting story of, of two narratives. One narrative being the Vikings with Kirk Cousins can never win in the clinch. It mm. always comes down to this. The other narrative was the Saints in playoffs often find a way to lose in heartbreaking fashion. Yeah. So which was going to win out? Yeah. You know, with a, that, that throw kind of was the culmination of two narratives. Were the Saints going to find yet another heartbreaking way to lose a playoff game at home? Or was Kirk Cousins going to flitter out again? Yeah. And what happened, happened. He made a dime of a throw. And, you know, I fully think that the Vikings deserve to to move on. And, you know, um, we'll obviously move into talking about this when we talk about the next week of games. Mm. Um, But I I think the Vikings are a sneakier chance than people think. Mm. Um, I think they're a really consistently built team. And this has been the wraparound the Vikings for, for the last few seasons. Talented on all sides of the ball and at all skill positions. Mm-hmm. You know, the receiving core, the running backs, the quarterback, the defense. It's been about when will they actually make that count. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think that maybe this win over the Saints is the sort of thing that gives them the fuel um, to, to drive them over that next hurdle. For sure. And I, I think one last thing about the pass interference thing that I think is just separate to the actual call, mm. I think it's an optics thing. Mm. I reckon 
whether it's called or not, and I, I don't know enough about the rules and how it's been called before mm-hmm. to say if it isn't or is whatever. It it wasn't called. That's how I'll take it. Um, but I think if I was a Saints fan or even just a casual fan, I think I would want the refs to give it an official review because they didn't. They, and it was really weird for me watching it going, ah, touchdown, and then it's really quiet, obviously, because it's a Saints home game, and you don't really know, is that because there's a call or whatever, so it was really weird, like, there's no cheers, what's happening, and then they're showing replays of the push, and you're like, what is going on, and then I think, and I, I had no idea what was happening, there wasn't like, mm. we're going to do, this play is being reviewed, you know, yeah. all that sort of stuff, and then I think just one of the commentators said, oh, they're... That's it. Game's over. Drew Brees was hugging all the other players. It just kind of ended. I feel like, whether it's called or not, the refs need to go, alright, we're going to just, not just have a quick look, because they did actually look at it, just not officially, and they said, ah, no, it's not passing their parents. You've got to have a proper official look and go, we are pausing the game, game is not over, we're going to review this play and officially come with a decision. They didn't do that. They just kind of ended the game and said, alright, so it looks good to us. I think that's, you know, regardless of the call, I think if you're a Saints fan, that's at least what you want to go, okay, we, we got an official review, even if it's wrong. Mm-hmm. I think that's better than not even getting an official call at all. I think Absolutely. And, and, you know, what you raise is, is uh, I think, a problem with... Uh, and I don't know if it's over-officiating or if it's the, the way the rules are set up or the way the players are playing or what it is. But more and more, your first reaction when a touchdown is thrown or a run... It, particularly thrown, is not to celebrate, it's to go, wait, is there a flag? Mm. And that is not good in a sport. Yeah. In a sport, you, we shouldn't be waiting f- to celebrate for a flag. Yeah. You know, and it, it just happens far too often. And again, I, I don't know if, how, if it's how it's being officiated, if it's the rules, if it's how the players are playing it. Whatever it is, it'd be great if it got cleaned up because I'd love to go back. I feel like there have been a lot of times where flags have flown on mm. um, on scoring plays. And it, it just removes some of the the enjoyment, the ability to celebrate. You've got to have this nervous five-second wait of, is someone going to throw a flag? Yeah. You know? Um, anyway, we need to move on. Um, and let's talk the other surprising game mm. of the week. Perhaps less surprising. I, I went into this feeling... Pretty confident that the upset would happen. The Titans go into Foxborough and beat the New England Patriots. The Patriots, uh, this will be my first season following football that the Patriots haven't featured in the playoffs past this round. Mm. Uh, in the Super Bowl even, I think. I've been following three or four years. I think they've been in the Super Bowl every year. So yeah. it's a new experience. I also um, realised too that with the Rams not making the playoffs and the Patriots being knocked out, we now do not have one of last year's Super Bowl um, yeah. combatants in the playoffs. So we're going to have two new teams um, fighting it Just out, good. no matter who makes it. That's mm. right. And so the Titans go in and really just... I, I was shocked. I thought for sure that Belichick and the Patriots would come with that defense, and they would find a way to stop Derrick Henry in the run and make Ryan Tannehill pass to beat them. 
they could not stop Derek Henry to save their life. The man is a monster. L- literally, like <laughs> I, I don't think I've seen a better in just in that game. Not talking about his like career, just in that game. I don't think I've seen a better running back. No. Like just insane. Destroyed them. He he could have just run every single play. Yeah. Well, he almost did. He yeah. almost did. I think I think uh, off the top of my head, I think Tannehill went eight of sixteen. Um, throwing the ball for, I think, something like 72 yards through the air. And a couple of those throws were clutch throws. Um, There was a third down throw Mm. late in the game that he hit a guy, I think Tannehill may have even been near his own end zone. I think so. I think it was within the 10-yard line. Yeah, and and struck uh, the first down on the face mask of his receiver. Um, So so people said, oh, Tannehill didn't have much of a game. I thought he had a, a really good game in that he didn't... Ruin it for them. Yeah. You know, and uh, he he found a way. He, he threw a beautiful touchdown throw um, with with men charging towards him. Mm. Uh, so I think Tannehill is an absolute assassin under pressure. I think, I think the, the dude is transformed. Um, and all you have to do is just unleash Derek Henry. <laughs> and then you're like, well, oh, good, man. The, the, right, it was comical. I said... And I've said this before, he looks like an adult playing against kids. Mm. He's so big. It's like having, you know, a linebacker at running back. He's huge. It's like playing Madden on rookie if you played Madden for <laughs> yeah. 20 years. Like, you just... I, there was one run that I thought was just so hilarious in how good it was. It was like, I think it was an outside run. Mm-hmm. And he gets tackled, like, around, or gets contact maybe two yards before the first down. Mm. And he just trucks mm. right through and pushes down and gets, like, an extra five yards. It's like in, insane how well he played. And we'll obviously talk about it more at the end. But it's going to be so interesting seeing them face the Ravens, who are mm. also a heavy rushing attack. Could be one of the quickest games in NFL history with the way the clock will run. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. And, and, you know, what really surprised me out of it was that the Titans, I think, had, in a lot of ways, a talent advantage. Mm. You know, and, and there have been a lot of teams that come up against the Patriots throughout history that have a talent advantage over the Patriots. It, you know, it's the way that the Patriots play as a unit mm-hmm. that that gets them wins over talented teams like the Chiefs and you know even some Steelers yeah. teams throughout throughout the last ten years. But what's their unit anymore? Like their unit is fractured. And and you know Julian Edelman dropped a couple of oh, one there was some key ones yeah. that he just. He, you wonder what are you doing in the NFL if you can't catch that sort of thing. Like that's crazy. And it was really it, it was it was amazing to see. It was obviously they only in the end lose by seven points, and they only trailed by a point very late until Tom Brady threw that pick six. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Wouldn't that, that just I'm, be sweet if he retired? Uh, <laughs> and that's his last throw is the pick six. Tom Brady, you're a, you're, you're a good player. The but, Patriots. But that's why we love Yeah, and and you know. It's. I wonder what will happen if the Patriots dynasty does dissolve, and I, I'm certainly not ready to call that it will. Mm. But having that villain team may form a more important part of our fan experience than we all realise. Well, so let's have see. a quick exercise. Yeah. Let's say the dynasty does disappear. Yeah. Who's the next villain team? Who's Who do you think? Who's the next team? one where you're like, oh, we get to hate on these? Right. Well, guys. well, my personal bias, I hate the Houston Texans. Yeah? They're one of my least favourite teams mm-hmm. in the NFL. Um, I 
don't particularly like their coach. I don't particularly like their uniform. I don't particularly like their crappy indoor stadium. Yeah. You know my feelings about indoor yeah. stadiums. Yes. Um, that would be a candidate for me. Mm-hmm. As f- and as far as a team that could make a leap to being a, a perennial contender yeah. with a young quarterback like Deshaun Watson and, and that sort of thing. And I know Houston Texans fans love their Houston team. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're asking me what's a team that could make a jump to being the dynasty that I don't like, yeah. definitely the Houston Texans. Um, or maybe the Cincinnati Bengals, but I. But the, the thing is, I don't think they're ready to make the jump. Yeah. What I about th- yourself? I think I would probably agree with the Texans. I think in a different way, mm-hmm. because it, and I think we'll probably know more next year. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a there's a slight chance in terms of the you know sustained success. Mm-hmm. Maybe Seattle. Mm-hmm. They might be the kind of team where they finally get over the hump. Like I know they've had a couple. One or two Super Bowls recently. One, one, and... Uh, like they've always yeah, been yeah, in the conversation yeah, yeah. a lot. But I can see them as once the Patriots are out, they become the next... Oh, they're in the Super Bowl every year. Mm. Oh, my God. Russell Wilson. Oh, he's so good, and that's why we hate him sort of thing. <laughs> and, oh, what's the coach's name? Uh, uh, Pete Carroll. Yeah, like, he seems also the kind of coach where you're like, he's just, what are you doing sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Like, I can see Seattle. There's worries about them, especially their mm. injuries and all that sort of stuff. But coming next year... If the Patriots aren't dynasty anymore, if that doesn't exist, I can see Seattle being, all right, we'll take that, thank you. Yeah. We'll be that sustained success team that everyone hates. The other thing, I suppose, is we could talk about, and this, I guess this wouldn't be a team that I would hate, but I can see the Ravens maintaining mm. this sort of thing. Um, because you know people keep going, and I suppose we'll learn something about it in this playoff game. People say, oh, once you've got half a season on, of tape on this team, yeah. you'll be able to stop them. Mm. Well, they've won 14 games in a row, or yeah. whatever it is, or 12 games in a row, um, and no one's stopped them yet, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but look, I think it's interesting. We're in for interesting times in New England. I What was most surprising, perhaps, was... It shouldn't have been surprising, but I think what we're all used to is the narrative that, oh, the Patriots look like a cooked goose. It's part of the way through yeah. the season. But once it comes to playoff time, and I thought some yeah. of that was... When I watched them play the Bills um, mm-hmm. in the second last week of the season, I thought, oh, God, they've found their identity. The power running game, uh, they, they're going to grind it out. They're going to yeah. grind their way. We're going to have to watch them strangle the uh, the uh, 49ers or someone in the Super Bowl. Like last year when we mm-hmm. watched them strangle the Rams. What was most shocking was nothing changed. Yeah. Actually, nothing changed. The, the Patriots team we saw across the final eight games of the season was the Patriots team we got. And, and I yeah. think that is what they were. Now, what they are next season, who knows? But for this season, in the back half of that, and I think a lot of that was to do with they played a pretty light schedule in the first yeah. half of the year um, and collapsed down the stretch. Really. Should we have, as a NFL-watching society, should we have taken the Dolphins' loss as less of a joke and like, ah, look, they lost to the Dolphins, how shit are they? to an actual worrisome indication of how they would play in a playoff game. Because mm. a team that wants to go to the Super Bowl does not lose to the Dolphins. Well, Which, well, you know, the Dolphins also have some sort of, like, they had some good trick plays. On the, they're not an awful team. Mm. But well, if Baltimore lost to the mm. Dolphins, we'd go, oh, yeah. holy moly, what's going on? The turnaround, though, I think, which, which has been interesting, you know, it's the, is that... The Dolphins, and I'm not going to get this 100% right, but the Dolphins started something like 0-8. Yeah. 
and mm. the Patriots started 8-0. Yeah. They actually had a very similar form line across the second half of the season. Yeah. The, the Dolphins um, sort of went you know, 50-50 across the rest of the season, and yeah. so did the Patriots. Um, I wonder what is going to happen at New England with Tom Brady, with the ownership, with Bill Belichick. The reality is... What we've seen is he needs... We- and, you know, you can say this of most quarterbacks. They need weapons around them. But there are some quarterbacks, and Tom Brady would have been one of these quarterbacks at a time in his career. He can elevate yeah. lower talent. I think you've seen, to an extent, Aaron Rodgers do that in Green Bay. Yeah. And people have been pretty hard on Aaron Rodgers this season. You know, he bails on plays too early. But I think he's actually made the most out of what he's got, which is a very inexperienced receiving goal. Um, so I just wonder, yeah, what, what, what the Patriots are going to do in terms of getting weapons and finding a new identity for Brady. Um, do you think Brady's going to stay? What do you, what's your personal opinion on that? I think he will. I think the most likely outcome is Mm. nothing changes. Yeah. He stays, Belichick stays. They find a One way to ride, on. sort of thing. Yeah, I think the same. Not if, that other things couldn't happen, but that seems like what's. If you happen. ask me, if, so, if something will change, what will it be? Yeah, you know, just a, just as the the fantasy question, mm. I almost see it as more likely that Belichick leaves than Brady. Yeah, yeah, because I think that the ownership and Robert Kraft, um, particularly, he has said I'd prefer to see Brady retire than to see yeah. him play in another jersey. Mm. Brady has pretty much said, I'm, I'm intending to stay. Yeah. The only voice we haven't heard on it really is Bill Belichick saying, and that's not that surprising because we don't hear that much, yeah. but as, as we talked off, off air yes. about, you know, the reality that Belichick, what coach, like as a coach, you are doing your due diligence to plan for the next phase mm. of your team. Yeah. You know, and, and we've seen it a little bit at the Steelers this year. Now, Roethlisberger's a little younger than Brady. But the thing is there, I think the Steelers have suffered um, this season for not having had a really capable backup, a veteran presence, or, mm. or you know, or a div- someone who's basically... Because they've been successful, too, they've, they've lacked the sort of draft capital they might have liked to take at a quarterback high in the draft. But I also think that you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you take someone early and you cause a rift in your team and all that sort of thing, and, and if you develop someone like Jimmy G at the Patriots, you end up trading him away because yeah. you have to keep your star player and Brady happy. But then if you don't, what happens? And what happens is what happened this year at Pittsburgh, mm. where you end up with... You know, Mason Rudolph, who looked... I thought he was showing steady signs of improvement before his concussion and afterwards he came back and was atrocious. Yeah. The last time we saw him this season, he actually looked good again when, yeah. he, when he brought them back into the game against whoever it was that they were playing. And then got knocked out again. <laughs> and then got Yeah, and then got knocked out of the game with injury again. And then you've got, you know, an undrafted free agent in Duck Hodges who wins your three games, but then he'll lose your three yeah. games. You see what happens when you don't have... And it's one of the most difficult positions I would imagine to manage in all of sport because mm. there's only one of them. Yeah. They're going to start predominantly every game unless they're injured. 
It's just a really hard position to manage, but I can understand why Belichick is saying we probably need to think about moving on. Because at a certain point, I think that Tom Brady this year is an inferior Tom Brady to what Tom Brady was last year. Mm-hmm. And he was probably an inferior Tom Brady to what he had the previous year. Yeah. That's not to say he can't still play at a high level, but it's it's the level of consistency. Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it's, we're in for interesting times. I think the fact that we're going to move into this with the coaching stuff before... Um, but there's there's still a job open that in the fantasy world I could see Belichick yeah. um, taking. It'd be quite satisfying. For old times' sake. And, and yeah, I, I just wonder who has... Um, you know, because they, you know, Belichick is always re- renowned as having ultimate power yeah. within the Patriots building. But at the end of the day, Robert Kraft is still his boss. And if Kraft, can you imagine a world in which the Patriots line up against Brady next season? He's in a different. I don't know if that's going to mm. go. I don't know if that's going to sell tickets. Yeah. For the Patriots, I think they they want. I think from a fan perspective, and I don't know, I don't know a lot of Patriots fans. On purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Awful people. I yeah. know. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but I wonder, I, I think they would want Tom Brady to walk out when Tom Brady's ready. Yeah. But that that's just a theory. Mm-hmm. Let's quickly ri- whip through these other results. Um, the more expected results, the, yeah, I'd say. The Seahawks... Just get it done. Um, the, the notes I have from this game are woeful running game mm. from Seattle. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at they got 64 yards. Look, Marshall and ran for a touchdown. Well, 45 of the 64 yards were Russell Wilson. Mm. I think uh, Marshall and Lynch had 12 yards from 11 rushes. And one touchdown. Yeah. And look, that touchdown was a Marshall and Lynch special, yeah. crashing through multiple yeah, yeah. guys. I don't think other running backs can do that, apart from guys like Derrick Henry mm-hmm. or there's a few around the league. Their running game was atrocious, and they relied a lot on Russell Wilson. They also relied heavily on the fact that Carson Wentz got injured. Yeah. Um, I really think that before Carson Wentz got out, I really think the Eagles were probably going to win that game mm, in the long run. Mm. But just unlucky. The Seahawks, classically across this season and other seasons, they play with their food. Mm. You know what I mean? They end up winning 17-9, to nine, and the Eagles had chances late in that game yeah. to drive and win, mm-hmm. uh, and they couldn't get it done. Yeah. And I think maybe with Carson Wentz in it, you know, that one they replayed and replayed of um, Josh McCown, the hole opens up and he goes, oh, I'm yeah. going to run through and get a touchdown. I think Carson Wentz gets that. Yeah. Uh, he's quicker, he's a little nimbler, he's not 40 years old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he didn't, and like... McCown played a lot of that um, game with the, I don't know if it was a hamstring injury or what, mm, but he, yeah. he had it was a, limping a, bit. a strain of some sort. Yeah. Um, so the Seahawks win at 17-9. to nine. I Not think, convincing. No, I th- and I think that this Seahawks team is weird. You know, nothing would surprise me. It yeah. wouldn't surprise me if they flame out majorly this week or they go and win the Super Bowl because they're yeah. just a strange team. They are in the the image of their quarterback and their head coach who are eternal optimists, um, you know, creative, uh, new wave thinkers. Yeah, yeah. And it just wouldn't surprise me at all if they find a way um, to the Lombardi Trophy. Mm. Do you have any other notes or takeaways from that no, game? No, just that it was probably the most boring of all the games. Yeah, it I was. Think. It was a real snoozer for yeah. most of that. And I was I was really disappointed both for the Eagles, for Carson Wentz, and for myself, my <laughs> viewing, my eyeballs. Yeah. Because... 
I, I'm invested in Carson Wentz doing well. Yeah. I'd like to see him do well. There's There's been a lot of... Um, the fact that he was drafted out of... I can never remember if it was North Dakota or South Dakota. Um, One of them. Yeah, the Bisons. Um, uh, but essentially uh, an FCS team as opposed to the FBS college system, you know, which mm. is sort of a little bit... Uh, people crinkle their nose at it. Yeah. Um, but the fact that before he went down injured in the 2017 season, he was the Patrick Mahomes of 2017. Yeah. He was setting uh, MVP-type numbers. Um, and I just think that the Nick Foles thing has added an element of cruelty to his career yeah. and an expectation that is unfair. And I think he'll be a great Eagles quarterback for a long time. Um, but I, I thought it was cruel that he was robbed of the chance to take them down a win because I thought Seattle were very, very beatable. And it yeah. was just the fact that the Eagles couldn't put anything up on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other game, the Bills and the Texans. My big point of this narrative was the Bills give up a 16 to nothing lead. Yep. Uh, Including one of the best touchdowns of the oh. hard round. <laughs> that first one was Josh Allen receiving touchdown was... The Buffalo really special. Good. And... And so they were up 16 to nothing mm. with only about two minutes to go in the third quarter. Yeah. And they end up giving up that lead. Deshaun Watson was like, what are we doing? He's <laughs> actually stopped playing. And, you know, people are celebrating, you know, the, the, te- oh, the Texans coaching moves. I don't know. I think some players made plays. Yeah. I think JJ Watt took over. <sighs> yes. And I think Deshaun Watson put mm. the Superman cape on it yeah. and just took off. Um and who knows, maybe that was from coaching adjustments. It's pretty hard to know from just watching. But yeah. uh, but it looked like some players made plays. As I said, J.J. Watt with some effort rushes. And also, Deshaun Watson being impossible to bring down and spinning out of trouble. And, and, and more than anything, I think that the Bills went into their shells. They came out looking innovative and creative. Like you said, that yeah. play... These fakes, and then the throw to Josh Allen, and he takes it in for a touchdown. You're like, holy crap! Maybe they've been stockpiling some plays yeah. and some ideas on offense, specifically for the playoffs. And Josh Allen was running the ball really well in that first half. I think they should do it a lot more. And this this plays into the the conversation about guys like Cam Newton. You know, where you go, oh, we've got to stop Cam running the ball because he's get, you know it's going to shorten his career. Reality is, different guys have different skill sets. Mm-hmm. You look at, you know, and the way that Cam Newton runs the ball is very different to, say, how Lamar Jackson runs mm-hmm. the ball. Lamar Jackson doesn't take as much contact as a yeah. Cam Newton, as a Josh Allen does. They're big, gigantic dudes who can take some of that physical contact. Mm. Guys like Tom Brady, who are predominantly pocket passers, are going to be able to extend their careers for a long time. Mm-hmm. I look at Aaron Rodgers, guys like that. Yeah. Um, even to an extent, the sort of player that Ben Roethlisberger has developed into, mm-hmm. like he still does seem to take a lot of physical contact in the pocket. He, he has been a guy who's not afraid to take some hits yeah. to deliver throws. But He's Big Ben. Yeah, that's yeah. right. He's Big Ben for a reason. But what I would say, Kirk Cousins is another example. Mm. I think Kirk Cousins you know, can, can extend his career for a long time. I think you are better to get Eight exceptional years out of Josh Allen, Cam Newton, pay them handsomely mm-hmm. for those eight years, yeah. than to say, oh, we need this guy to be quarterback for 15. Mm. 
and, and, and Tom Brady set a standard. Yeah, almost. yeah, he has, and, and it's unattainable for for not unattainable, but but I think what so what are Josh Allen's assets as a player? Mm. His obvious assets, and, and particularly you talk about stages of career. We're talking about a guy who's in his second year. Mm. Okay, so maybe at year five, four, five, six, yeah. as he gets into the second part of his career. One of his assets will be his mind, his his ability to diagnose defenses and find those um, schematic holes in people. Yeah. Maybe he's going to be able to sit more in the pocket and pass the ball around. Right now, his greatest assets are his athleticism. He's a massive dude. Yeah. He's fast. Um, he's agile, and he has an absolute cannon yeah. for an arm. Yeah. I don't know if you saw any of his combine throws, but there's stuff where he's throwing like 80 yards. Really? Yes. Jeez. So he, he can unload the ball. I actually think he's the running part of his game, and it's not, sorry, it's not just the distance that he can throw it either. There were some throws um, in this game and across the season where quarterbacks with weaker arms can't actually, the player... They might be able to see that guy's going to be open for a fraction of a second, yeah. but with my arm, I can't actually fit it in the gap quick yeah. enough. Josh Allen can fit that ball into those gaps quicker yeah. than perhaps most of the NFL. What I think you need to be doing more of is giving him less time to think. Let's let's get in more of those designed quarterback runs, mm. like that that one that what they did early yeah. in the game. He picked up forty yards on it. Mm. And let's get those quick slants and crossing routes to Cole Beasley and to John Brown and, and that sort of thing. Let's get him some more targets. Let's get him... Uh, Dawson Knox, the tight end, has yeah. been a real revelation, I think, for them. Let's take advantage of that, his ability to, to fit passes in the quick game. I think you see, look, as much as he has a big arm, I think often watching him throw deep is so nerve-wracking. Yeah. Because he's overthrowing... Or he's under three. I don't think his timing on those deep routes is that great yet. Yeah. Um, It'll come with time. Well, that's what I think. And I think that they're not... And I think, to to bring it back to this game, they got afraid. That was my takeaway, is that they went away. And you can see in the second half of games, they start to get worried about... It's not just in the second half of games. I think you start to get terrified of him losing you the match. Mm. And so you actually don't give him the opportunity to win it. Yeah. You don't, you stop calling plays, um, or you're worried about him getting injured and that sort of thing. You know, guys can get injured at any moment for mm. any reason. Um, and it doesn't help that a losing team in the second half is going to change some things up. So when you combine, you know, fear and, and worry and, oh, let's try to be act conservative with mm. an opposite team yeah. that's trying to push really hard... That's why often you see these second half comebacks because mm. the swing around is so big, especially yeah. with someone like Josh Allen who's much younger and less experienced. Mm. And I think it's dangerous to sit on a lead, especially. And the the other thing is the the efficiency in the red zone. Um, they threw one touchdown. Mm. Okay, so you've also then gone on and kicked three field goals. Um, there were a lot of missed opportunities. This offense seems to function quite well until it gets into the other team's half. Yeah. And then drives start to stall out and particularly they, they come away with a lot of field goals. 
close range field goals, which means you were close to getting a yeah, touchdown. Just couldn't you know? get it. Um, and I think that's something they're going to have to work on, particularly when you've got such a weapon. I, th- I think Josh Allen is underrated uh, in terms of his production. They put up some statistics about um, in terms of the amount of rushing touchdowns he has. I think he leads the league in, in rushing touchdowns right. maybe for a quarterback. Yeah. More than Lamar Jackson, yeah, I believe. Yeah, surprise me. Um, there's a lot to work with there, but I think you're going to have to look at what his strengths are. And, and there are some obvious weaknesses. There are some really poor decision-making. There, th- there was a deep ball he threw into double coverage. Mm. There was um, the the lateral attempt. I don't know what was happening there. Like, that was just such an... I was just thinking as... I hadn't thought of, the, thought of this until just now. Could that be a bit of like... Josh Allen thinking, oh, wouldn't this be so good if this works out? Like, oh, another great trick play. Like, oh, I chuck it out and he runs down and runs a touchdown. But in that moment, yeah. doesn't actually think critically about it. He just goes, just out of instinct goes, this would be such a good mm. thing to do, such a great trick play, not actually thinking, oh, this probably isn't going to work. And if it does, it's not going to get me a touchdown. Well, I, I yeah, I, I don't understand what the urgency was there because you just made a massive gain. Mm. I, I would understand if it was fourth down and you still yeah. need a first down. Exactly. And you're a couple of yards short. I'm going to flick it to this guy so mm. he can get it because you know you're going down. And Again, there's some decision-making stuff that I think... And I don't think it's helped by a conservative play-calling system. Um, I, I think, you know, that's... He's he's got some things he needs to work out. Um, and it's not just about giving him confidence either. Mm. You know, you can say, oh, you've just got to give him some confidence. No, you've got to, sh- you've got to help him learn what are good decisions and yeah. what are poor decisions and work on that situational management yeah. from him but I, look I think he's a really good quarterback I think there's noticeable improvement from last season to this season mm-hmm. uh, but ultimately I think there's a lack of composure mm-hmm. um, on offense I think they could stand to get they were talking about the um, the height the lack of height mm-hmm. in um, in Buffalo yeah. in terms of their wide receiver group Cole Beasley's quite short John Brown's quite short um I wonder if you're better to go out now in the draft and try and find like a jump ball specialist. Yeah. Someone who is good at high pointing those those catches and jumping to bring the yeah. ball down. So not so much you know yards after ca- yards after the catch weapon, mm-hmm. but someone who can get downfield and go up to take the ball. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that'd be a really good asset for them. Yeah, I think so. And 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 then just to continue to work and develop. Um, Are they in the same? Um, Division is the Patriots? Yes, yeah, yeah. They might even, depending on what happens with the Patriots, they might even become the best team in that well, division. Well, it's going to be an interesting division next year because you're going to have the Bills, who, mm. you know, this is another year under um, Sean McDermott, who I, I think is a really good coach. Mm. Um, I think it's it's he's a defensive-minded coach. Um, I, just, I just think that they need to be aggressive on offense, like they were at the start of the yeah. game. They came out and did some things that the, that the Texans didn't expect. But yeah, it'll be an interesting division because you've got the Jets with a second year under Adam Gase, and they looked a lot better yeah. in the second half of this year. Mm-hmm. You've got the Miami Dolphins who looked a lot better in the second half yeah. of this year. And you've got the Patriots. So, you know, sometimes you've got to be really... There can be a brief window for a team, mm-hmm. um, and you want to make sure you don't miss it, particularly the fact that you know, teams like the Dolphins, they have a lot of draft capital mm-hmm. to bring new talent in. Yeah. Um, 
Is Fitzpatrick going to be around next year? I think he was on a two-year contract. Okay. I, th- I think um, I think it was a two-year deal. I like watching him play. Oh, it's a shame I, that I, he's not in a super successful team, yeah. but he's one of the most fun ones to he, watch. He really is. And, you know, like this has probably been a career year for him. This has been mm. the best he's ever played. Is he, I, I how think. old is he? Do you know? 36 off so the top of my head. He's getting up there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's a bit of a journeyman. He's played at so many different... He's played for Buffalo. He's yeah. played for the Jets. He's played for Tampa Bay. Um, a bunch of other teams. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see who they bring in because they yeah. will draft a quarterback, I'm almost mm-hmm. certain. Yeah. Um, it's a shame it's not Joe Burrow. I know. <laughs> I, I was be... hoping it was Joe Burrow. I, f- I thought that would be a good Come on, Cincinnati. Spot. Let us have it. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks declared, so it, it makes too much sense in my head for Cincinnati to draft you know, the Ohio mm-hmm. kid. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a local boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if any team can bungle it, it's the Cincinnati Bungles. Um, <laughs> so that wraps up. We should, we, we've spent a good amount of 40 minutes talking about it's true. Uh, wild card. I want to quickly get into some chat about the coaching mm. carousel. We had Ron Rivera um, to the Washington Redskins. We had Mike McCarthy to the Cowboys, I wanted to just quickly touch on McCarthy. Rivera is a little bit old news. Um, he's been installed there now for a, a couple of weeks. But Mike McCarthy to the Cowboys is an interesting one. Um, so he's got a career record of 125 wins, 77 losses, two ties. He reached the playoffs in nine of his 13 years at Green Bay with a 10-8 and eight postseason record. He won at least one playoff game in six of those nine playoff mm-hmm. series. And he won the Super Bowl in 2010 uh, against Pittsburgh. Uh, <laughs> as he's been in the NFL since 1993, uh, where he started working with the Kansas City Chiefs as an offensive quality control. It's interesting, McCarthy to the Cowboys... Uh, one of the big questions over his last sort of years at Green Bay mm. was the run game. Mm. It's interesting to note that Aaron Jones this year under Matt LaFleur is the first Green Bay running back to have a thousand yard season since Eddie Lacy did it in twenty fourteen. Yeah. Um so the the run game sort of uh, wasn't particularly functional. Um, towards the the end of McCarthy's era in Green Bay. He comes from that West Coast offense system of short, you know, passes mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, so I'm interested to see what... So he's had a year out of football. What does that look like now with the Cowboys? Because the run game is such a massive part yeah. of what Dallas does with Ezekiel Elliott. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Dak Prescott... I don't know, Prescott had a better year throwing than ever, perhaps, but I, I sort of think, what is he going, what's the scheme going to look like? Yeah, it's going to be interesting, because you could see, I don't know, I don't know if it's going to happen, but you could see McCarthy going, alright, maybe my strength isn't coaching running, mm. maybe what I've got to do is get Dak Prescott to be the thrower that he can be, and maybe that's how they find their success, I don't know if that's the way to go, but maybe that's why they've gone to McCarthy and gone, you know what? You know, we've got a good running back, but man, if we can get Prescott to 
get the right coach, maybe he can be, you know, an MVP. Maybe that's the way they're trying to look at it. Yeah, I, and I wonder too, um, it'll be interesting to see if Callan Moore sticks around. He's the offensive coordinator. I think this was his first year calling plays in Dallas. He's only mm-hmm. very young, yeah. uh, early 30s maybe. Um, and he got a lot out of Dak Prescott um, this season and the offense, particularly in the first half of the yeah. year. I think one of the problems with the job in Dallas is that you've got the owner... Jerry Jones, who's also the general manager. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to look at. So Mike McCarthy, I, I touted last year as a perfect hire for Cleveland, mm-hmm. because my perspective was that you've got a young, you've got a young quarterback, you've got a team full of stars. Yeah. You need an experienced head coach who knows how to run a successful football program. Mm-hmm. Okay. They go with an inexperienced coach. Yeah. And the bottom falls out of it. My thought, again, was Mike McCarthy to the Giants. Yeah. Or Mike McCarthy to... I'm trying to think what some of the other jobs were. Maybe the Washington Redskins. Mm. Um, it surprises me that... the that What I sort of looked at with the Cowboys is... Jerry Jones runs the show. Yeah. Okay. So you don't necessarily need a guy who also knows how yeah. to run the show. What you kind of want is someone who is all about innovative football. Mm. And I was super, I really thought that that out of any of the teams, and I'm not a particularly strong like um, proponent for them to, for for teams to go. Oh, grab that college coach who's a hot offensive yeah. coordinator. You know, go get Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, who's sort of the the hot name all the time. In Dallas's situation, I kind of thought something like that could work. Yeah. Take all the management stuff. Wh- what we want, you- Lincoln, we just want you to come in. Yeah. And we want you to win us that Super Bowl. Yeah. You don't have to worry about any general management stuff. Jerry's going to take care of that because he will anyway. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're getting the bang for your buck out of Mike McCarthy from a coaching from from a schematic point of view mm-hmm. that you get out of poaching someone like Lincoln Riley. I could be wrong, and maybe the year off has helped McCarthy freshen up his playbook and mm. that sort of thing. I don't know if I'm a fan of this hire or not. It's so hard to, to grade these things because you never know. Yeah. Um, like you, this, you could say this sort of things about Sean McVay when he's hired. He's 32 or whatever he yeah. was. He's got no head coaching experience, and you know he turns the Rams into Super Bowl contenders yeah. within two to three years. So that's where I'm at with McCarthy. It might be such an out there pick that it actually turns out being really good. He could Who come knows? back from a year away from football, totally rejuvenated, and maybe the. the well, I've the... heard that during his year off, he spent his entire time watching football games mm-hmm. and going into all the different you know play calls and watching film and all that sort of stuff. So maybe I don't know if that's been verified, but that's what I've heard. So maybe he's like, I'm just gonna load up with with ideas. and try and be as innovative as I can be, mm. not being the old school coach sort of thing. Maybe that's what he's trying to do. I mean, at the end of the day, he's got the credentials. Mm. Um, you know, I, I certainly think he is a good football coach. Um, you know, you don't win a Super Bowl like that. You don't, as I said, nine playoff runs in 13 mm. years. at the pack. That, That's impressive. Only time um, will tell if that continues. Yeah, I just wonder if it was the hire for Dallas. Mm. Um, Matt Rule to Carolina. So, Matt Rule is sort of... Uh, 
this is the advantage when you follow the college game as yeah. well. <laughs> so, but Matt Rule's name has been thrown around a lot um, in recent years in the NFL. So he, he has gained a reputation as being uh, a program builder from mm. the ground up. Uh, he sort of has taken jobs um, where others perhaps wouldn't. Uh, he turned around the Temple football program from 2013 to 2016. Uh, Baylor, who uh, were in an awful way, their program, uh, I haven't done a lot of reading on it, but I know there was um, a horrific uh, rape scandal throughout that football program, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of permeated through um, the culture that had been built there, uh, and he that was his most recent position um, was as head coach of Baylor from 2017 to 2019. And, you know, you look at his record, it, and I'll just read it off for you. So, at Temple, he started out 2-10 and ten his first year, 6-6 six and six the next year. The next year, 10-4, and four, and they finished first in the AAC East. And the next year, 10-3, and three, and finished first mm. in the AAC East. Baylor, 1-11 the first year. Seven and six the next year, eleven and three in this season just gone, mm. and second in the Big Twelve, and he won the Big Twelve Coach of the Year. So this is a guy who has a track record of coming in w- w- when teams and programs are at their worst, mm. and in a very short amount of time, yeah, turning them around. Up. And I think that's the opportunity he's going to be given in Carolina is the opportunity to basically have. Full control mm. of the the Carolina football program, and to build it up, um, there's been no confirmations. I think they said he, he called or or met with Cam Newton, and mm. you know expressed his uh, respect for what Cam has done, but hasn't made any guarantees about what who will stay and who mm. will go and and what the what this team is going to be built around. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, as we just looked at his coaching record at, at Temple and at um, Baylor, if it follows a similar trend, if we yeah. if the Panthers may take a, a step back next year. Mm-hmm. Now, what that step back is, I don't know. I don't know that they're going to be a a one and eleven team, uh, like a you know or a what is it in the NFL? You know, a one and fifteen or yeah. a two and fourteen. But you know, maybe they have another five and seven or a four and eight or something. Don't but in know. the long term. But that then I think success. after that you see it start turning around. You know, you've got a couple of drafts under your belt. That's that's a good thing. They've got him in. He's got time now um, with the draft. I suppose there's, you know, I, I thought about this too, you know, with guys coming out of college. You know, they spend a lot of their time evaluating young players. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this will be a very accountable Panthers locker room. Yeah. Um, I think there are going to be some standards uh, set uh, that that will not be broken, mm-hmm. um, or you'll be cut. Uh, but I, I think this is an interesting hire. Uh, if you look, he's well travelled. So he started his career in Albright. He went to Buffalo, UCLA, Western Carolina, Temple, the New York Giants, back to Temple as the head coach, and then to Baylor. And really interesting thing, which is. You know, you sort of say that, and, and this might feed into some stuff about Joe Judge as well, uh, who was announced as the coach for the New York Giants. 
But an interesting thing for Matt Rule is he has coached linebackers, defensive lines, special teams. He's been a running games coordinator. He's been the quarterbacks coach. He's been a recruiting coordinator. He's been an offensive coordinator. He's been a tight ends coach, assistant offensive line coach with the New York Giants in 2012. And then he's been a head coach at his last two coaching stops. Mm. He has coached both sides. Yeah, so, so, and I think that's a really important skill as a head coach in the NFL, as you hire your coordinators and that sort of thing, that you are able to set the identity of your team because you understand all sides of the ball and what you want your team to look like. Mm -hmm. I think this is a really good hire. Yeah. I'm not all for, as I said, I'm not one of the people that's going, get Lincoln Riley because... We just saw a Lincoln Riley offense that was predominantly shut down by LSU, and a Lincoln Riley defense that got mm. hammered. Yeah. Uh, you know, for sixty odd points by LSU. I, I don't think you get a full package. I, th- I think, and who knows? You might see. It. You know, I thought maybe Lincoln Riley was maybe a good fit in Dallas somewhere where Jerry's going to go, well, we're going to bring in such and such as defensive coordinator mm-hmm. and, and surround the offensive genius of Lincoln Riley with similar genius yeah, or experience yeah. at the coordinator positions um, and say, you just worry about making us sexy yeah. on offense and we've got such and such who's going to... I think that Matt Rule um, is uniquely positioned... Um, perhaps to to have that that range of skills and understanding of all parts of football, um, as well as things like being a recruitment recruitment coordinator. Yeah. I think that serves you well in the NFL as oh, well. Sure. So, I like the hire for Carolina. They may take a step backwards next year, but I think it's going to be a lot of steps forward. And you know that division is definitely up for grabs. Mm. It could be a really competitive division with the Falcons uh, theoretically to get better. Yeah. Um, if it's anything like their sort of last quarter of the season, mm. that's definitely what would happen. So uh, I think this is an interesting time. Um, it's probably a perfect time because I, I feel that Cam Newton may be somewhere else next season, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and so then you get an opportunity to rebuild. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that they won't be down for very long if they are down at all. Yeah. I, th- I, think, I think Rule has shown a willingness... To work anywhere, yeah, that's one thing, and also to coach anything. So I think his fingerprints will be all over this program, and the team will go as he goes. Uh, we'll move into the final hire to talk about the Joe Judge, the New York Giants, a three-time Super Bowl winning uh, coach with the New England Patriots, uh, eight seasons serving as a special teams assistant, then as the special teams coordinator, plus wide receivers coach mm. this year. Uh, previously a grad assistant at Mississippi State, uh, linebackers coach at Birmingham South, uh, Birmingham Southern, special teams assistant at Alabama from 2009 to 2011, where he also won two national championships. I believe that would have been with Nick Saban. Mm. Now, I don't know a heck of a lot about Joe Judge, Mm -hmm. but you said you had done some digging, and so I'll open the floor to you. Yes. So there's not a whole lot to know about Joe Judge, yep. but it, just looking in, in terms of now that that's who we've got mm-hmm. for the Giants, and you can talk about like oh who would have been better pick, but that's mm-hmm. who we have with Joe Judge, and we're talking about it before. It's not like a special teams coordinator 
can't have great success as a head coach. We've mm-hmm. seen it with the Ravens coach, mm-hmm. John Harbaugh. Like, we've seen that happen. Mm-hmm. Like, a special teams coordinator is not going to be like, ah, that's the only thing I can do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> someone else is going to have to run the show. Yeah, That's just the job they've gotten, but they've obviously got a mind for a whole lot of other stuff. So you've got that, that it's not unheard of for that sort of a coordinator to have good success as a head coach. But then also you've got, he was coaching under Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. He's got to have learned something. Working under that sort of a mind, you're bound to be learning some really valuable ideas. And someone was saying on one of the NFL Network shows that I thought was a really interesting way to look at it. In a way, if he's a good coach, with which people around him have said he actually is a really, really good coach, both tactics and play calling, but also player relationships. Mm. So if he's a good coach, you almost want a special teams coordinator because they've kind of they kind of work with all sides mm-hmm. of the team. It's not just an offensive coordinator who only really knows offense but can't really control the defense, which is a worry if you don't have a great defensive coordinator. But with special teams, while, yes, you're not actually controlling the offense and controlling the defense and doing the play calling, you still are working with those aspects. You've got to teach defensive players how to play defensively and mm. offensive players to play offensively. You're still working with those two parts of a team plus the actual special teams aspect. So you're not just only focused on one aspect of the team. You're working out ways with all of it. So you can come in as a head coach going, I know how to work with defensive players. I know how to work with offensive players. I know how to work with the team on all cylinders. Mm. And I think that's, if he's a good coach, that would be a really, really good pick. Mm. But that's totally dependent if he knows what he's doing. And that, but people have been pretty confident with him, people around him. Mm. I think just time will tell. I think Belichick, too, is such a special teams aficionado. Like, mm-hmm. he's a strong believer that... Uh, and special teams have bailed New England out on yeah. a lot of occasions this year. You know, that would be a high-pressure situation to work in, mm. um, I think, you know, in, in coordinating the special teams on a Bill Belichick coach team where he's so, someone who is so um, enthusiastic about that and, uh, you know desires that part of the team to be so successful. The other thing to think about too with a special teams coordinator, they're willing to work with a little to get a lot. Yeah. You know, um, it's it's an overlooked part of the game in a Mm. lot of ways. And maybe, you know, we can extrapolate from that that Joe Judge perhaps is an overlooked coaching hire. Mm-hmm. Again, this is it's so hard to judge because you you look so hard to judge. Judge, oh, <laughs> um, you look at someone like John Harbour, as you say, yeah. a special teams coach. He's won a Super Bowl, mm. you know, and in he he could be about to take the Ravens back. And what you look at too with with a guy like Harbour, the willingness to innovate, mm. you know, the willingness to to throw your previous system to the side and go, we're going to invest in tight ends, wide receivers who are happy to block. And a bunch of running backs, yeah. And Lamar Jackson, you know, there there is a willingness to innovate. And I don't know that that is inherently part of a special teams coordinator's toolkit, but it could be. Yeah. Um. I, I don't know enough about the hire, and this is one of the classic things about Belichick assistants. Mm-hmm. You never know much yeah. about them. Um. So it will be really interesting to see. An interesting thing, I think. And we then we better quickly wrap whip around the the games for this week. I was reading um, Collisions, Low Crosses, which is a book uh, that follows the two thousand and eleven New York Jets, 
and there's some some talk in there about the Jets coaches um, and their respect for Belichick and and his ability to be himself, you mm-hmm. know, which is you know Captain Grumpy and all yeah. that sort of thing. But he's being true to himself. And they theorize that the reason a lot of Belichick disciples who who leave to head coach their yeah. own programs, the reason that they fail a lot of the time is that they attempt to be Bill Belichick. Yeah. Whereas what you really need is a, a person who is invested in their own, their own know, voice. Perhaps that's yeah. the best thing you could learn from Bill Belichick is to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I look at Mike Vrabel. I thought it was a really interesting moment. I thought Vrabel um, has done a great job coaching Tennessee this mm-hmm. year. And there was something very poetic about watching him end the Patriots with yes. their own sword. Those those penalties. Yes. It, it, there Best was, part of the game. Yeah, there Best was something the very poetic about it. And, and to be able to take what he's learned, he's also a, a lot more open than Belichick, he tends to, um, but again, uh, there's no no doubting that Belichick is, you know, perhaps the best coach of the Super Bowl era. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what Joe Judge brings to things. Mm. You know, what what his personality is. Um, you would hope that it's not just another Belichick because I don't personally think that that personality will work with the New York media. Mm. Um, I think you've got to be. You don't really want to be in a situation in New York where the media dislike you. Yep. I think it'll be interesting if he's a gregarious type of guy and is and can play that side of things too, mm-hmm. if he can get the media on board with him. Yeah. The Browns job's still open. That's a job that I, you know, in a fantasy world, I would love to see Bill Belichick take yeah. um, for old time's sake to turn that program around. Don't know that that will happen. I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens there. I, the right fit is essential, and I, I, it's really interesting. That out of any of these teams, I would say don't dive in on an inexperienced guy. Get yeah. someone who's got head coaching experience, and they've missed out now on Mike McCarthy, um, and maybe a head coach from the college game, you know, an Urban Meyer mm-hmm. type. But and now that the Vikings have won a playoff game, Mike Zimmer is out of the out of question because for a little yeah. bit there there was like oh is he going to leave there was talk of him for Dallas yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so and, and not only the fact that they won a playoff game but also I think head office came out and said we're stuck with Zimmer but even that I feel like a team like the Browns might have been like oh mm. maybe Zimmer if something doesn't go well but even he, he's out of the conversation now. Yeah, and, and it's it's not an attractive place to go as much as you can say hey look at the riches you'd have you got yeah. Baker Mayfield didn't have a great season but I think you can erase that the locker room stuff and the personality mm. stuff and the ownership thing, you know, there there are lots of fingerprints on that team and I I think it's a, a difficult place to lure yeah. a coach um, and we may see that in who they end up getting. Mm. It'll be really interesting to see who, who ends up taking on, you know, the poison chalice of the Browns. Uh, the off-season's going to be It's going to be fascinating. I doubt whether Belichick will take it. He 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 wants to go somewhere. Well, the only thing I would say, again, it's a fair. I my firm belief is we'll have Belichick and Brady yeah. back at the Patriots. Mm-hmm. That's what it'd be. The only thing I would say that in the fantasy world, the the increase of likelihood now that they've sacked their general manager, yeah, that opens the door for Belichick to take over again as his kind of CEO mm-hmm. of football operations. Yeah. 
Um, but I just don't know. I don't know if. Uh, and 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 so, who are the candidates? Who are the head co- Who are the guys with head coaching experience? Um, you know, guys who have recently exited the NFL, like Jay Gruden. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see who fills that Cleveland job. But let's move on to the final segment of this episode of the JBFE. Let's move into the divisional round of the playoffs. Your Vikings at the 49ers. The Vikings going up against the second best defense, the fourth best offense. Now, in my opinion, this 49ers team is probably the most legitimate team on the NFC side Mm. of things. That's my personal view. My question is, can the Vikings run the ball against Salah and his defense? And can the Vikings stop the run? Because the 49ers are one of the best running teams Mm. in the game. Yep. Perhaps second only to the Ravens, uh, off Mm -hmm. the top of my head. Um, My belief is personally, that if the Vikings can't get their run game going, then it drastically impacts the pass. I really think game's over. I yeah. really think that if you can't get Cook having a, at least a good game, he doesn't have to have a great game because he didn't against the Saints, but if he can't have a good game, I really think that is game over. Mm. Not again, not just in any game, but the fact that it's against the 49ers. Mm. And this is one that I don't think I'll watch live because we have a chance. The Saints, I felt like we didn't. I was like, eh, we win, that's great. We lose. Saints are a great team and they deserve to go ahead. But the fact that we have a chance here makes me go, I'm probably not going to watch it live because it's going to be way too tense for me Do to watch it. people are underrated. It's somehow underrating the 49ers. Mm. You know, it's, it's strange because, again, like I'm the same. I'm kind of going, oh, well, the Vikings, you know, they're in this. It's the 49ers. It's, you know, it's... Um, is it Levi Stadium? I think the the San Francisco mm-hmm. uh, Stadium. You know that's not as intimidating a place to go as New Orleans. Yeah. This team has uh, crushed other opponents all year. It's one. It flogged the Packers. Yeah. It went into on New Orleans and put up forty six points yeah. on the Saints. They've beaten. You know, the, the they lost to the Ravens in a close close mm-hmm. game yeah. in Baltimore in the rain. You know, they're the number one seed. Yeah, they're the number <laughs> one seed. And I, th- I think there is a little bit of sleeping being done on them because it's like, ah, it's the 49ers. They're going to... I don't know why, but mm-hmm. they are... They've been one of the most impressive teams to watch. I think Jimmy G is a really good quarterback. And I think that they have a, a lethal running game. I think there's two stats, like or two aspects of the game, as to why I think the Vikings have a chance, or maybe even three. Mm-hmm. Three ways to look at it. One, which is an actual stat. I don't have it off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. their run defense isn't great. It's something like 14th or 16th yeah, in the league. Yeah, that sounds It's really not great. Mm-hmm. So if we can get the run going, then that's an aspect that we can really push through on. I think secondly, I'm pretty sure it's Jimmy G's first playoff start. I think he was with the Patriots mm-hmm. when they were in the playoffs and stuff. Yeah. But it's his first playoff start. That's definitely an aspect. As much as you want to go, ah, he's Jimmy Garoppolo, he's a great quarterback. As a human being, that has to affect you in some way. Mm. And the other thing too, and obviously people have different disagreements, but, and I can see that, I've seen this in other sports like AFL, the bye isn't always great. Mm. Especially coming off a red-hot Vikings team. That's something you've got to think about. Mm. And as much as there are people saying... 
that might be underrating the, the 49ers, there is an aspect of people on the opposite side of the spectrum going, ah, they're the 49ers, you know. They're the number one seed. Mm-hmm. They're going to win. They've got to buy, and that might work against them. It's going to be really, really fascinating because there are those stats in those areas where the Vikings can really push hard, but I think it's just like the Saints game. The Vikings have to play the best game they've ever played all season to win. Yeah. If they don't have, if they're not great on every part, if their defense isn't holding up, if, if Dalvin Cook can't get a good run game, if Kirk Cousins isn't performing, if, if those three cylinders aren't running, they lose. I can guarantee it. It's, it I, can, I can't see a way for us to win the game if we're not playing 100% across the board. Absolutely. I, I'm really interested to say, I feel like this is a vengeance year for um, Kyle Shanahan after mm-hmm. so many years of having players injured and his list decimated, not having a quarterback. And yeah. I feel like it's a revenge tour in a lot of ways and he's taking out a lot of frustration on teams. I, I'm with you. I think the Vikings are, are a chance in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's on them if they play well. You know, they and are, I think a really, really big aspect as well that people have been sleeping on and only now are suddenly go, oh, that's noticeable, is their defense. Mm. Because I understand, I wasn't watching the NFL back then, but I understand the Vikings' defense used to be, mm. like in the last couple of years, used to be the thing that was talked about. Not mm. necessarily the offense, it was the defense. And then it kind of drifted away, and this mm. season hasn't been too great. And obviously people are talking about the Saints now, well, they, the defense did against Drew Brees. Mm. But you've got to look past the... If you ignore the Bears game, because you know the starters were rested and all yeah. that sort of stuff, you can't really count that. So if you discount that, you've got the charges where we had like six turnovers, something, something insane mm. against not a great team, but a fairly good offense. Mm. So the defense played extraordinarily well against the Chargers. Next game, yes, we lost against the Packers with atrocious offense. But our defense worked really well. We almost won the game just with our defense, you know, against Aaron Rodgers, all right? And then mm. the Bears game, whatever. And then played so well against the Saints and Drew Brees. Mm. So I think that given that track record of the past three games of the defense really holding up. I think that if you can give, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo some tough third downs and keep them off the field, then you then have the opportunity to go, all right, now we can try and get the Dalvin Cook to run the game really well and all that sort of stuff. I think that's really the key. If we can hold up the 49ers with our defense, which I think they can, and like legitimately can, mm. given our track, rec- track record... You can do that, then we can start talking about, all right, can Cousins do this, can Cook do that, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, like I said, all three cylinders have to be firing. It has to be the best game of the entire season and of pretty much everyone's career to win it, yeah. which they can do, but that it's such a higher bar than the 49ers. Yeah. But, uh, you know. And yeah, the, the, yeah the, the, I, I'm, I don't know, like the, the logic of it says that the 49ers should win, but the logic said that the Saints should have won. The difference, I would say, is that the Saints talk a lot of smack. Yeah. You know, they are that team that likes to talk it up, and they sort of... And the coach is the same. Kyle Shanahan strikes me as a little bit more of an assassin. Mm. He's a little bit more cold and calculating, um, and I think you see that in his team. You know, there are a lot of spots yeah. where they show up, and, and well, they, they knife the Packers, mm. you know, they, they absolutely obliterated the Packers. Yeah. It's 33-3 to three or something. Like, something crazy like that. It was that. a demolition job. Um, and speaking of Kyle Shanahan being an, an assassin and, you know, thinking mm. in that sort of way, 
he was the I think the offensive coordinator when Kirk Cousins with was with the yeah, Redskins, yeah, and then right. who knows how that'll work? If that'll be work in Kirk Cousins' favor, going mm. oh, I know how this guy works, or mm. the other way, going and I think that's more likely because I think the coach has more of an impact on the whole team than Cousins would. Well, he was also Cousins' offensive coordinator, yes. Mm. So he coached the offensive side of the ball, which is it's interesting to know. Like, and but you know, I think things change and. I'm just interested to see. I, th- I think this, to me, there was a thing at the back of my mind with the Saints that, yes, they should win, but this smells like the, yeah. of an opportunity for mm-hmm. this. Like, the Saints were talking all week. That smelled... I haven't heard boo from the 49ers. Yeah. I feel like they're a very serious football team. If the Vikings go in and, and win this game, their estimation in the, in the Super Bowl rankings... Mm flies very very high to yeah, me um, for sure because I think they can beat the uh, the Seahawks and I think they can beat the Packers um, <sighs> for sure I think the Packers are the worst 13-3 and three team that's ever existed <laughs> I really do think like even statistically they've got the worst point differential mm. like they just always, they're like Seattle which is interesting because they're playing them they're like Seattle in that they just they win ugly and I don't know how how long that can last and one last thing on, on the Vikings matchup before we go ahead to the other games I think it's, if the 49ers are anything like the 49ers fans, who I've been looking into a bit of how they've been responding to the Vikings win, it's not good. In that, the 49ers fans are going, whew, good thing we're not playing the Saints. Mm. Like, thank you Vikings for beating the Saints, because we didn't want to play them, because they beat mm. us last time. If the 49ers team takes mm. on that attitude, you're looking at a repeat. Mm. Because the Saints had the same thing, mm. going like, ah, oh, it's the Vikings... They'll succeed. We're at home. This will be easy peasy. I'm not. I don't think the 49ers team will be like that. But the fans are thinking that. The yeah. fans are going. Thanks, Minnesota, for defeating the Saints. The fans are idiots. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> for every team, yeah, yeah, yeah. every team, it's even true. Minnesota. Like it, it, that is just fans. But it's interesting to go. Mm. If that at all leaks into the administration, you're looking at a repeat. We won't pick this game because it's too. It's too close. Um, Let's pick, let's look at the other. We'll we'll jump over to the Packers, mm. as you say. One of the most average thirteen and three teams. They by one measure they rank eighteenth in defense and eighteenth in offense, so below average in yeah. both. Um, Seattle statistically, in this game, have the fourth best rushing attack. But we know that Carson and Penny are both out. And Lynch so, isn't who we thought he might be running into the game. So where do they actually rank in yeah. terms of, as I said, they had 64 rushing yards last week and only uh, 19 of those were from their running back. <laughs> but he got the touchdown! Yeah. But 13-3 and three Packers team seems like a thin veneer. Mm. You know, just concealing average. Yeah. Well, I, they I, scraped against the Vikings because the Vikings were absolute garbage, mm. except for the defence. And then I was watching closely when they played the Lions in the final game and just scraped over there. I think they were behind at halftime against the Lions, Detroit. But then you look at... And and the thing is, this is kind of like a a bizarre game, Mm. probably the most bizarre from the weekend, because you look at the Seahawks, who are 11-5 and or whatever it is. They, too, could have easily... Like, they they only know how to beat teams close. They went and lost to Brett Hundley and the Cardinals um, in a a game that mattered for Mm. them in terms of seeding. They lost to the Saints at home. I, I looked up this statistic. So this is the, the Seahawks at the Packers in Lambeau Field. Mm-hmm. 
This year, the seas, the Seahawks are seven and one on the road. Yeah. So seven and one away from home. So mm-hmm. they've lost four games this year yeah. at home. Gone four and four at home. Wow. The Packers are seven and one at home. <laughs> so what's going to break? The, yeah. the, the, the Packers are seven and one at home. The Seahawks are seven and one on the road. Mm-hmm. So what? Which what, stat is going to overpower the other? This is another one. There's two competing narratives. Honestly, I really don't know. I, I think... I, I obviously want the Packers to lose. Obviously, because I'm a Vikings fan, yeah, yeah. exactly. But uh, it's so tough. Well, uh, and I don't know. I really don't know how to pick this game. I think this, this, the Packers need their running game. They need Aaron Jones mm-hmm. and um, Jamal Williams to have big games. Uh, I think this is less about Aaron Rodgers and more about other elements of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they need that defence that has shown up in spots yeah. this season to show up against the Seahawks. Well, what they showed against the Vikings, I think, is a key. Well, you get that sort of a defense, it could, it, it could, they could easily win it. And, and, you know, if there's no running game for Seattle, then Mike Pettin and his defense can pretty much play off the pass to say, we know they're going to be throwing it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how to pick this game. Uh... I really don't. I'm not sure who comes out of this battle. And I feel that way. Like I said, logic dictates to me that the 49ers will beat the Vikings, but I know the Vikings have sort of slayed the giant last week. Mm. As I said, I've got feelings about Kyle Shanahan having his team more in a good mindset than than Sean Payton had the, Mm -hmm. the Saints. But either way, I think this is a chance for the Vikings to come into their own because they've long had potential. Um, So we'll see. But the Seahawks and Packers is the same. I really don't know. Yeah. I've got Even no, matching I've got... up the two quarterbacks, you're like, which quarterback are we going to get? Yeah. Are we going to get a good Aaron Rodgers or are we going to get mm. poor? Same thing with Russell Wilson. Mm. You can get either. And I think ultimately, I would say that the one thing that the Seahawks maybe have is, you know, and obviously the Packers have Devontae Adams in the passing game. But the Seahawks with Russell Wilson and... DK Metcalf mm. is a really dangerous link-up. And I, I feel like this is one of those games that's going to come down to a f- few crucial yeah. plays. Does Russell Wilson hit Metcalf on a long touchdown? Yeah. Same thing with Rodgers and, and Adams. Does Mike Pettin's defense step up and stop? Mm. If, the, if, the, if the Seahawks get no run, yeah. then you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I just sure. think it's really interesting... I don't know how to pick this game, and so I'm not going to. Yeah, and um, I, I don't even know what the stats are with this, but just in terms of having watched both those teams and what the feel is, mm. they both they both win ugly. Like, mm. they both win games that they should lose, but lose games they should win. Like, mm. it's so over the place. But my feeling is the Seahawks come come in clutch moments. Mm-hmm. When, it's, when they're down and out, they come out and they win. Sometimes they don't, but they often come out winning in clutch moments. I feel like the Packers are the opposite in that they just hold out a team that's trying to win. Mm. Like the Redskins or the Vikings, whoever it is, mm. unlike the Seahawks who kind of, they, they win in clutch moments, the Packers seem like they just manage to hold on despite mm. the other team pushing hard. And with those two playing together, if it's close, I think Seattle wins because of that stat. I don't know if it's going to be close. It could be a blowout either way. But if it's a close mm. game, if it's a possession game, I think Seattle wins because of that. I feel like Seattle always seem to 
come out with the clutch win, whereas mm. the Packers seem to just, are we just going to hold them off? I don't think they can hold off Seattle in the close game. But yeah, I can't pick it either. It's a really tough one, and I don't know. So let's move on to a game that I feel like is actually less tough to pick. Mm. The Titans at the Ravens. My takeaways from this game is that I don't feel that the Titans have the array of weapons that the Ravens possess. I think this is a spot where the Titans could get exposed Mm -hmm. uh, by a more complete team. The Ravens, the fourth best defense and the second best offense. The Titans, the 21st defense and the 12th best offense. Look, I think the Titans went and handled what they needed to handle against Mm -hmm. the Patriots. Uh, They took advantage of the Patriots in ways that they should have been able to take advantage of the Patriots. I don't think... Look, I don't know. Like, Derrick Henry is such a force of nature. Um, I think this Ravens secondary, I think this Ravens team in Mm. general, there are so many ways that they can beat you. And they don't seem to have an obvious weakness. Every team does. There's no way you can have a perfect team. There are always weaknesses and and holes you can penetrate or whatever you want to say. Yeah, yeah. Like, but I don't think the Ravens have, like, a, a game plan that they can be beaten with. I really don't see it like, oh, this is the way. We do this, and we do this successfully, mm. we beat them. I feel like even Derrick Henry could run for 300 yards and five touchdowns, and I still think the Ravens would come out on top because I feel like that's all the Titans really have that's an X factor. Mm. The whole Ravens team is an X factor. They are yeah, the X yeah, factor. Yeah. The X factor. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. I think this game, um, while maybe high score, I don't know, I see the Ravens winning about 35 to 17. Yeah. I think the Titans will hang around for a bit, mm. but ultimately, uh, I think the Ravens will have too much. They're just too good. Yeah, they They're are. too good. And again, maybe we're... Sl- I, I just look at the Titans and go, okay, you've got AJ Brown in the receiving game, you've got uh, Derek Henry in the run, and if anything, what's most surprising about the Titans is that their defense is ranked so low. Mm. Um, and I, I think that um, they haven't been the strong suit. It's been the offense particularly in the second half yeah. of the season, that's been the, the strong part of this. Uh, as you say, I think they are just too patchy. Mm-hmm. The only to way take, they can win, take them out. I think, now obviously there's many ways they can win, the only way I think they can win, the Titans, is if they come out strong from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Because of the fact that the Ravens are coming off a bye, mm-hmm. which can often help teams, like who knows if it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing, but if the Titans come out strong both on offense and defense, let's say they start the ball, they get a touchdown, and they get a three and out. The Ravens get a three and out. Mm. Then I can go, okay, maybe the Titans can win. But if they don't, if it's touchdown for touchdown or whatever, or if they don't even get a touchdown on the first drive, it's over. That's the scary thing about the Ravens. See, that A lot of the talk is about, well, if you get up on them, mm. they're a running team. So it's going to be hard, you know, because historically, you know, run-heavy teams, they slow. Yeah. They slowly score. The Ravens are kind of terrifying because they can put up so many points so yeah. quickly. You saw that in the game against the Rams where they mm. just... It was suddenly it was you know, 35 to nothing or whatever. And you're like, whoa, okay. Um, and I think... Yeah, so this one I think is easy. As I say, I think the, the Ravens win this game by multiple touchdowns. What do you think? Uh, I think it'll be a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. I, I think... I am going to pick this game. I'm saying 17 to 35. Yeah? Ravens, yeah. I'm going to go, and I have tough picking just from the fact that I've got to go, okay, I've got to actually pick a score that makes sense in terms of touchdowns and field goals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's something like around, I don't know, I reckon Ravens get 35, but I reckon Titans something like 24. 
All right. I think it's a little bit closer. Yep. But I yeah, I think the Ravens come out pretty pretty easily. So then the final game, the Texans and the Chiefs. The Texans beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead 31-24 to earlier this season. Can they repeat the dose? No. They have to- <laughs> no, that's my answer. <laughs> the last time, what the, the recipe was they dominated the time of possession, 40 minutes mm-hmm. to 20 minutes. They had 35 first downs to 20, and uh, Carlos Hyde rushed for 116 yards. They kept Patrick Mahomes off the field for large stretches mm. of this game. Um, it's interesting uh, Deshaun Watson actually threw two interceptions mm. in this match so he didn't I think he still threw for a lot of yardage yeah. and, and a touchdown but I I think that there's been significant improvements on the defence for the Chiefs mm-hmm. between then and now and their offence has really clicked I feel like in the last few games yeah. for the Chiefs as well yeah. it, it, like, it is playoffs anything can happen mm. especially with the, with the Texans like it's not like ah. Oh, Anything can happen with any team. It really is anything could happen with the Texans. But I don't know, I just look at the fact that they were down by 16 points at halftime, or, you know, even into the third quarter. And yes, they did come back and win, so that obviously is a point. But they were down 16 points, and the Chiefs are they're coming off a bye, but they are coming in hot after their, the end of their regular season. They've got Mahomes. They're at home. It is a game that the Texans could win. I can like legitimately see it happening. It's not a imaginary thing. I can mm. see them doing it. But I, I think the Chiefs are too good. And like you said, the defense has really come up strong as well for the for the Chiefs. So I think the Chiefs are too good. And I really think that they're. I can see them going to the Super Bowl. Well, if all things are equal, then we'll have the Chiefs versus the Ravens. That's where it's going to be so that, good. That, that's the matchup we want. So yes. the Titans and the Texans can please just get out it's of the way. It's not possible, but I want to see them in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like I want to be, that is, to me, the two best teams. I think, I think my matchup, my ultimate Super mm. Bowl matchup would probably be the 49ers and the Chiefs. Mm. Maybe 49ers-Ravens. I don't know why. I'm mean, a little bit. I've a little bit besotted with the 49ers. I think that I the, um, they're a team that's been down for a while. Yeah. I would like to see them come up, but um. Well, they were they were both in the Super Bowl fairly recently, weren't they? Uh, 49ers and Ravens. Yeah, yeah, 2012. So it'll be a bit of an interesting. Who won that game? Uh the Ravens. After that might be a bit of a revenge. The Ravens were thrashing them, and then there was a power outage. I saw that's yeah, the one I watched. The, yeah, 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 yeah. So and that was with Colin Kaepernick. Interestingly, I think it's Greg Roman was the offensive coordinator for the 49ers in Colin mm-hmm. Kaepernick. He's now the coordinator for the Ravens <laughs> Jackson. So, um, Let's pick this game, the Chiefs and the Texans. I've got this at 21-17. I think the Chiefs are playing a slightly more mature brand of football. Mm-hmm. I think they've put some time and effort into that defense. Uh, and I think, I think this game will be perhaps lower scoring than people think. But what say you? I'm the complete opposite. Tell me I about think, it. <laughs> and it, as I always say, it can be anything. Like, it literally can be anything. But I've got a sneaky suspicion yeah. that the Houston Texans are going to come and go, we can win this game. We just beat the Bills. And the Chiefs go, sit down. <laughs> Get ready. I reckon it's something like 45-3. I think Whoa. the Texans get blown out of the water. I think that they they come in with not false confidence, but going in like, oh yeah, we can do this. We're a good team. And the Chiefs go, uh-uh. 
we are coming off even hotter than you are off the Bills, and I think that the Texans are going to get, not that they're not able to have a high-scoring game, but I think that they're going to get blown out early, yeah. and it's going to blow out the, any confidence they had, mm-hmm. and the Chiefs are going to feed on that. I really, it could be your prediction, but mm-hmm. I've got a sneaky okay. suspicion it's going to be something. Like well, I, I could see even like a, a lower-scoring blowout mm-hmm. myself. I think, you know, even maybe the Chiefs win at 21-6 yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. But but I think, um, yeah, my I don't know why my leaning is that. I think that the Chiefs have had eyes towards other teams. Mm-hmm. But I think, how we, how do we beat 49ers? How do we beat... And, and part of that is better management of the clock yeah. and being able to be a bit better on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and two, a little bit more methodical on offense. Yeah. Allowing your defense and time on the sidelines to mm-hmm. relax. Yeah. Um, but man, I, I'd be excited by a forty-five to three blowout. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we've done it all. You've yeah. come and you've said it all, Minnesota yes. Jack. A predictable AFC and a not predictable NFC. The NFC games we both can't predict. Yeah, I don't know. Look, if 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 you put a gun to my head, I'd say I think the 49ers get their business done, and I would say that I th- I would. Go the Packers. I think the Packers will use the home... Again, this is gun to my head if I just had to yeah. pick a winner. I, th- I think maybe Seattle's injury bug catches mm. up to them. Yep. I think maybe that that weakness gets exposed. Because I think Mike Pettin can put together a really good defense for the Packers. I think Rodgers and the offense can find just enough. But it, that's gun to the head. What yeah. about you? Yeah. Shotgun to my temple. Yeah. Uh, I'd say... Yeah. As much as I obviously want the Vikings to win, I think it'll be... I won't give a score, because yeah. I can't. Um, but I think it'll be close, and the 49ers will come out on top. I think that the Vikings will come out really strong. They're like, oh, maybe we can win, and the 49ers are just too good. And, you know, George Kittle chucks everyone down and runs down for a touchdown in the final quarter. It'll be a heartbreaking, another heartbreaking loss for mm-hmm. the Vikings. If a gun to my head. But I don't know. I even think... I think with the Packers Seahawks, and this may be the... Hatred for Green Bay in in my veins, <laughs> but not even gun to my head. I think gun out the window, and I can kind of see it. So not even that much pressure. I think Seattle go. I think it's gonna be close, and because of that, Seattle's gonna go. We're gonna come out clutch, and we're gonna win just because of how in the last few games Green Bay has not been convincing, mm-hmm. and neither is Seattle. Mm-hmm. But I think Green Bay have been less convincing yep. than Seattle. So I think. I think Seattle comes out on top, but uh, it could be anyone. It could be anyone, and I think your point about the injuries also could come true for Seattle. So we've got forty in, in our both our minds. We've got forty nine as mm. making it to the championship yeah. game, but we're not sure if it's Seahawks or Packers. Yeah, and then we've got a unanimous Ravens Chiefs. Yeah, seems Excellent. pretty certain. Seems like it'll line up nicely. It'll be fun though. It'll be a fun. <laughs> if it's anything like how fun the Wild Card Weekend was, man, it'll be a good. Good round of playoffs for the 100th year. Be really fun. Looking forward to it. Mm. Minnesota Jack, thanks for being here. No worries. And we will, uh, yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll get together and wrap up the result of all of these games. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the 45-3. If, yeah. I, get, if I get that, I'll be so happy, man. <laughs> Go buy a lotto ticket. Yes. All right. Thanks, Jack. No worries. Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the JBFE. Thanks so much for listening to Minnesota Jack and I waffle on about football for close to two hours, giving you that premium footballing content. 
Hope that you've got a big weekend of football lined up. Obviously all the NFL action, but then the upcoming college football championship game between the LSU Tigers and the Clemson Tigers. The Battle of the Tigers. Hope you enjoy that one. Joe Burrow going head-to-head with Trevor Lawrence. Until next time, you can follow me on social media at the JBFE on both Instagram and Facebook, or you can send us an email if you want to get in contact. It's the JBFE at gmail.com. The word the JBFE at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch, give us some feedback or offer up a subject of conversation. But until then, you've been great. I've been reasonable. It's the JBFE. Thanks so much for listening.